Well, um, I've been loving catching up with the video cast and hearing the fantastic talks in the series that we're in called Truly Truly, which has been truly wonderful. Have you guys enjoyed it? Yeah, it's been really great. Richard did a stand-up job kicking that off for us a few weeks ago. Denise has done a couple of fantastic talks, and our very own Chris as well. And I get an opportunity this morning to speak on a Truly Truly as well. But before I kind of unpack and we talk about the verse that we're looking at, I would like to all ask you a question. Are you ready? Who here knows about online influencers? Anybody? Oh, wow. You're more in touch with the first service. I like it. Yes. Well, listen, for those uninitiated of you, let me explain what, what an online influencer is. They are people with a huge online following on one of the many social channels. You know, you've got YouTube and you've got Instagram and you've got Snapchat and all the kind of stuff. And um, it started really with all these, let's call them offline celebrities, you know, movie stars and pop stars building a huge online following. But increasingly, there have been unknowns, you know, who have built up a following uh, because they either do something completely ridiculous or funny or informative or actually mainly just live in a life that people want. You know, some of the huge influencers get paid by all these huge resorts just to travel the world and take pictures of their hotel rooms and the beach. It's true. Why? Because people want their life. People want their life. Now, I know you're very interested about this subject because of all the blank faces I can see. <laughs> just kidding. Right, here's some stats because everyone loves stats. Do you know how many followers the top 10 influencers on Instagram have, if you combine them? Anyone guess? Anyone who has it a guess, sorry? Six million. Six mil higher, higher. 25 million, higher. One million, definitely more than that. Anybody else? 100, no, you're all so low. Are you ready? One billion, almost. 1.25 billion people. Top 10. That's huge, isn't it? Let's put that in context. China, 1.3. 1.25 billion is roughly 40% of everybody online. That means you are sitting next to somebody that follows one of these guys. Your secret is not safe in here. <laughs> I think it's all this side of the room, actually. All this side are fine. Just kidding. Now, I know that you want to find out more about this, don't you? So let me give you the top five influencers on Instagram. Are you ready for this? At number one, Cristiano Ronaldo. 145 million people follow him. Woo. Close second, Selena Gomez of Disney fame. 144 million, she's catching up. Number three, Ariana Grande. I hope I pronounced that correctly. Musician, singer. Kim Kardashian, number four. Of course, she'll be there. 120 million. And then number five, my personal favorite, Dwayne Johnson, The Rock. 119. There you go, hey? It's impressive, isn't it? Very impressive. And you see, what happened was these, these online influencers all of a sudden discovered that they could make money from these people that followed them. They could to use the business to monetize them. And all of a sudden, brands and companies realized that these guys had a bigger audience than TV and print combined. So what happened? They said, we will offer you some money to advertise our services. And a whole new business industry has just spun up in the past few years. Now, anyone want to guess how much a single post can get you? If you're interested in this business, number one, you've got to get more than, I think it's 100,000 followers to be an influence, okay? But this is how much money you can make. Let me give you this. Carly Jenner, who is not even in the top five, let me add. She's number eight. She makes, you ready? One million dollars a post. Yep. All she needs to do is take a picture, and she's made a million quid dollars, actually. It's not as much as a quid. 
That's impressive, isn't it? She can make or break a company. I mean, Snapchat, she was on Snapchat, and, and she said something derogatory about that platform, and that stock price plummeted. This is the kind of influence we have going on. But, you're probably wondering where I'm going with this, aren't you? Yes. We see in the scriptures that, in fact, this concept of influencers and followers is nothing new. As it says in Ecclesiastes, there's nothing new under the sun. You see, there was one key influencer back in Israel before the internet ever began called Jesus. Now, the thing about this influencer is that unlike the influencers of today who make money from their followers, Jesus came with an altogether more wonderful proposition than that. Life, Jim, but not as we know it, as a great Spock would have said. And so that brings us to our verse this morning, which we find in John chapter 6, verse 53. Can you turn there with me? I hope you've got your Bibles or your smartphone device. And this is going to be our truly, truly of the morning. Are you ready? Jesus said to them, Very truly, I tell you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Wow, what an interesting verse. You know, without any context, it sounds rather strange, doesn't it? I mean, the hearers of the day must have thought it sounded even cannibalistic. What? Now, in order for us to understand this, we're going to have to look at the story so far and build some context. So, where do we find ourselves in chapter 6? Well, we find Jesus, you see, full swing into his earthly ministry. We find that things have really taken off for Jesus. Why? Because news starts spreading of this man called Jesus and a complete unknown. In fact, a carpenter's boy. Until something most amazing happens. Do you know what happens? He turns water into wine at a wedding. And not any other wine. No, no, no. Probably a top-notch claret or something, you know. Like a Chateau Margaux, if you know your ones. Probably better than that, even. And news spreads, and he starts getting followers. Who's this Jesus? We want to follow him. Well, this Jesus turned water into wine, but there's more than that. Why? What does he do? He heals people. No. Yes. Well, you remember that royal official, don't you? You mean the one who had the son that had a fever that was dying? Yes, that very one. Why? What happened to him? Well, Jesus met the royal official. And he didn't even see the boy. He just said, your son will live. No. Yes. And guess what happened? He lived. Oh, wow, I'm going to follow this Jesus. And his followers build and the crowd swell. And there were other miracles and other healings. What about old Joe at the pool of Bethsaida? For 38 years, an invalid. invalid. And then Jesus rocks up there and says to him simply, would you like to be healed? And he says, yes. He says, okay, pick up your mat and walk. And he did. Wow, more followers. But the last miracle was amazing. Why? What happened? We were there following Jesus, as one does. Without the internet, we have to physically go there. And we were waiting to hear from Jesus. And it was about lunchtime. And we were really hungry. And you know what it's like on the far shore of Galilee? Not many places to go and get lunch. I know. I wish there was a pret there. I like pret. I actually do like pret. Um, Anyway, guess what happened? This little boy came on the disciples. He had five loaves and a couple of small fishes. Well, you're not going to believe what happened. What? What happened? Well, they bring it to Jesus, and Jesus takes the food. Well, we laughed, didn't we? We're not going to be able to eat that. I mean, there's 5,000 of us. And that was just the men. There was more women and children. But anyway, Jesus takes it and prays and thanks the Father. I mean, you could have heard a pin drop. And all of a sudden, he starts handing the food out. More and more and more. And boy, we got our fill and it was tasty. 
In fact, it was better than bread. And not only that, there was leftovers. 12 baskets of food. Oh, 12 baskets. Do you think that represents the 12 tribes of Judah? Oh, interesting. Probably. That's an aside bit, by the way. You get that one for free. (laughs) So all of a sudden, you see, people are following Jesus. And in fact, they look to find Jesus because he had gone off on a boat. And all of a sudden, here we go. We've got tons of followers. And what does Jesus say? What does Jesus say to them? Does he say, welcome one and all. It's great that you're my followers. Does he say, great to have you here. Here's another post. Does he call Nike up and say, hey, great news, Nike. I've got a ton of followers. If you pay me, I'll talk about Nike Air Max, which is particularly good for this terrain, and we do do a lot of walking. (laughs) Thankfully, this influencer didn't say any of that. And this is where it brings us to our story then. And we find his answer in chapter 6, verse 26. Let's read that. He says this. Very truly I tell you, you are looking for me, not because of the signs I performed, but because you ate the loaves and had your fill. (gasps) What? I can imagine his social media agency giving him a call. Jesus, that is not the kind of thing to be saying if you want more followers. But we know that Jesus set the trend, didn't he? Why did he say that? Because Jesus perceived why the crowd were there. It wasn't because of the signs. Now, what does Jesus mean when he says signs? You see, signs are a deed which has full of significance that reveals Jesus' identity and his saving mission. You see, signs reveal the glory of God. That was the whole point of these signs, to demonstrate Jesus' glory and his mission for mankind. But we, we find the Israelites here completely missing that. In fact, what Jesus says here is that they were focusing on themselves and what they could get from Jesus, not from who he was and what he had for them. Now, isn't it easy in present day, 2018, St. Albans, to look at this and think, oh, what a silly bunch of Jews. Why were they just following Jesus for food? That's terrible. I would never have done that. Really? Well, listen, with respect, I know personally I've been there before. Can we honestly say hand on heart that there haven't been occasions where we have just gone to Jesus for what he can give us, not for who he is? Are we any different? Let me just say at this point, I'm not saying that God doesn't want to give us things. Of course he does. He delights, just as I delight in giving my children good gifts, so our Father does. He longs to do that. But there is an asking devoid of relationship. There is an asking devoid of relationship, and that's what we're seeing here. You see, what happens is the danger is we start to see Jesus as some kind of cosmic Santa Claus that just hands out gifts whenever we need them. And we've all been there. You know, I I grew up in a Christian family, very blessed to do so, and I I can't remember that specific moment where I said yes to Jesus, but there was a particular waypoint in my life that I remember very well. You know, I got baptized about 15, 16, about three, four years later, I went to university, and and, you know, that, my life in that early days as a Christian really was about, you know, I worshipped in some kind of part and I, and I went to church and I sang songs. But really, whenever I reached out to Jesus, it was pretty much, Lord, help me with my exams or can you help me with this friendship or can you do this and you can do that. And I kind of lived my life like that for a long time. And I said to all my uni friends, you know, I'm a Christian. And yet, deep down, I knew the life I was leading really didn't demonstrate that. There wasn't really any fruit and in the second year, we're in a house together, there's about nine of us, I think, and something happened that I did that I wasn't proud of, and someone, a non-Christian, said to me this, and you call yourself a Christian? Ouch is right. 
You know what? In that very moment, the Holy Spirit opened my eyes. And all of a sudden, my hunger for Christ was revealed. My emptiness was revealed. I said, oh Lord, forgive me. I am poor in spirit. You might have given me such many blessings than he had, but you know what? The things weren't satisfying my soul. I was thirsty and hungry. I was anemic and I was weak. And funny enough, that night, uh, the next day, a lot of the guys from the house left, but I was waiting two to three days for my mum to pick me up. And I remember just spending those days on my knees, weeping, saying, Lord, I need you. And just worshipping him for who he was and just feeding on him. And I didn't realise how hungry I was for him. Oh, Lord, and I just was satisfied. And for some of you here, let me just say this. There are waypoints in our Christian walk where God opens our eyes and says, you know what, I've got more for you. I've delighted in giving you stuff. But just as Jesus revealed the hearts of the Israelites, so Jesus is revealing your heart right now and saying, you know what, thus far you've been coming to me for stuff, but I want you to come for what I have for you, something much deeper. Because God is longing for a relationship with us. And so it is with this backdrop you see that his followers were thinking about their physical needs of hunger, their temporal, earthly needs, and what they can get from Jesus, that Jesus starts the first of seven I am statements that we find in John. And it's verse 35, here it is, I am the bread of life. You see, the I am was intentional. Jesus knew exactly what he was doing, of course he did. Because God had revealed himself to Moses in the burning bush as I am. And the Jews here would have recognized the importance of the name of God. And so Jesus saying, I am, I am God. And there were six others. I am the light of the world, 8.12. I am the gate for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I am the resurrection and the life. I am the way and the truth and the life. And I am the true vine. Now, let me just say, what is amazing about these I am statements is this. They all reveal the relationship of Jesus with us. You see, Jesus could have said, I am strong. And of course, he is. He could have said, I am sovereign. And of course, he is. He could have said, I am all powerful. And of course, he is. But he chose to reveal himself as Emmanuel, God with us. I am your bread of life. And so while the Jews were focused on their physical needs, isn't Jesus so clever? He shifted the conversation to their eternal needs. The question of salvation. The question of restoring relationship with a heavenly father which sin had broken. And indeed, as we know, that is Jesus' mission. That is Jesus' mission. You know, and it says in verse 40, he goes on to explain in chapter 6, For my Father's will is that everyone who looks to the Son and believes in him shall have eternal life, and I will raise them up on the last day. And at the time I, when I was studying this, I remembered Hebrews 9, 27 to 28, and I, I suspect the writer of the Hebrews had remembered this event when he wrote this. He said this, Just as people are destined to die once, for indeed that is where we are all going, aren't we? And after that, to face judgment, for that is indeed what will happen. So Christ was sacrificed once to take away the sins of many and will appear a second time. Not to bear sin. Not to bear sin. He's already done that. But to bring salvation to those who are waiting for him. 
You see, we are in this period now before Jesus comes again, and he will, quicker than we think, in the blink of an eye, and time's up, where we have an eternal decision to make. Do we go to Jesus for eternal life and life with him, or do we have the opposite path, which is an eternity without him? This is serious business that Jesus starts speaking to his followers. And so he uses the picture of the bread and says that the bread has come down from heaven. But what do the Jews say when he says this? Because thus far they've been loving what he's been saying and doing. But we see a marked change in Jesus' ministry at this point. Verse 42 says this. Isn't this Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How can he now say, I came down from heaven? Then Jesus replies with this in verse 51. I am, he says it again, I am the living bread that came down from heaven. And remember that the Israelites would have mentioned it, in fact, in this passage when manna came down from heaven. And Jesus said that was a foreshadow of what was to come. In fact, everything in the Old Testament is a foreshadow of Christ. That old covenant was a foreshadow of the perfect covenant of Christ. That manna that you, the Israelites received from heaven wasn't going to give you eternity, wasn't going to give you life. It supplied your physical needs. But now God, the Father, is sending his Son from heaven, that body broken for us for eternal life. And how did the Jews respond to that? Well, they, they moved from grumbling to arguing. They were getting pretty steamy about it. Verse 52, how can this man, you see, he went from Jesus to this man. Isn't that interesting? How can this man give us his flesh to eat? And then we have our verse of our truly, truly. Very truly, I tell you. In other words, listen, I've told you two times before. Listen up and listen good, because I'm not going to tell you again. Unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Now, of course, when we read this, we understand what Jesus meant, right? Because we understand that Jesus went to the cross And his body was broken for us and his blood shed for us. That sacrifice. You know, in the old covenant, the high priest used to go into the Holy of Holies once a year to sprinkle blood to atone for the sin of Israel. But he had to do it every year. It was never sufficient. But our new high priest, Jesus, this new covenant, one time for all. And so this morning, that's what we've done, haven't we? We've celebrated communion together. Remembering his sacrifice for us, that his body was broken and his blood shed. And so, what does it mean, therefore, to eat of his flesh and drink of his blood? It means to abide in him and for him to abide in us. Romans 12:1, what does Paul say? Brothers and sisters, in light of God's mercy, in light of what Christ has done on the cross, offer yourselves as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, for that is your act of spiritual worship. And God is requiring each one of us. He is longing for us to have a relationship with him. And for some of you this morning, maybe you've never even said yes to Jesus. You've followed because of your needs. And all of a sudden this morning, God is saying to you loud and clear, there's more. Are you going to follow Jesus and offer yourselves as he has offered you, himself to you? And so what was the response from the crowd? What do we read? What did his followers think of his new post? (laughs) To use that vernacular. Were there cheers of, yay, we're saved, let's repost. And did his followers soar as you would hopefully expect? Well, we read the answer in verse 66. This is what it says. From this time, 
many of his disciples turned back and no longer followed him. They clicked block on Jesus. It just simply offended too many. They realized it would require them to turn their lives over to Jesus, to relinquish control, to die to fleshly desires. It would require them to focus away from their own temporal needs and recognize and realize that there were eternal consequences. You know, this, this life that we lead, guys, is just fleeting. It's just fleeting. We live for a higher thing. We are passing through, as it says in the scriptures. Our home is not here. Let's make the most of this time to worship him and seek him. And for the, these Jews, it meant this thing, that this influencer that they had followed was re- requiring total influence in their lives. And that is the requirement and the request and the longing for Jesus this morning. What happened 2,000 years ago is the same today. The message is as simple as it is. Will you say yes to Jesus? And will you abide in him? I'd like to invite the band up. Let me ask you guys a question. It's a meaty message, isn't it? And it requires <laughs> the Holy Spirit's probably working in your hearts now. But let me ask you a question. Who is influencing you today? Who is influencing you today? Is it the world influencing you and everything around you and that satisfies you? Is it your fleshly desires that are influencing you so that we only go to Jesus when we need something? Let me encourage you this morning and say that God the Father loves you so much. He longs to have a relationship with you, to pour out his blessings upon you. And so he sent his only son, Jesus, to die on that cross so that we can have life and life, Jim, not as we know it.